Well, I have to say, <laughs> as my voice suggests, I am back. Welcome to Super Duperstitious, the paranormal podcast about the science of the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And uh, we are here doing the show. Uh, we're kind of back. We're kind of sort of back. Yeah, I can't say with any certainty what our schedule is going to be like in the immediate future but you know we're probably going to be back regular pretty soon i will say now that my body has reconstituted itself into its new shape <laughs> i'm pretty much unemployed <laughs> so there's so time. i have a lot of time <laughs> yes so yeah like if you hear from us again next week then probably we're back to a regular schedule i don't know we'll find out but yeah, we've been uh, hanging in there, doing our thing. Also, some stuff happened with Wyatt earlier this month, but we'll talk about that next time. First, I have a little present for you, Wyatt, that is not the thing I just showed you, but is in fact a little a little bit of a story that I oh. found that I think is fun for you before we get into the main premise of today's show. Wow. All right. I'm officially not ready. <laughs> cool. Go for it. Uh, so I have a special update. Uh, according to a submission to a certain blog we may be familiar with, by someone credited ah. as CJ. This is from a while back. Um, I'm actually checking. This was, I think, on September 27th. This was posted, and I've been holding on to it since then for a special occasion. September 27th? September 27th. Of 2020? Yes. Carry on. Uh, CJ says, quote, Last night CJ I heard- CJ Craig? Yeah. Last night I heard the most amazing strange story that happened in Coles County, Illinois. It was a creature slash being I've never heard anything of uh, heard anything of before. Have you heard of some sort of being slash creature that is like eight to nine feet tall, very skinny, wearing a black hooded cloak, and instead of walking, it hops very high and very fast to move? No. <laughs> I talked to a woman who saw one cross a road in 2012 down to Mattoon slash Charleston, Illinois. Another friend said she and her husband saw the same thing in 1989, about eight to ten miles from the area she called Airtight Bridge. She said the damn thing jumped about three feet in the air each time, was upright, and it jumped so fast that it was uh, it was humanly impossible. It moved forward slowly, uh, though, because it had to jump so many times to cross the road. She said it must have <laughs> jumped a few hundred times so fast it was almost just a blur. She saw no knees <laughs> bent while jumping, but I wonder if she noticed anything about perhaps the heels. I know. This is the most comical sounding version of <laughs> yep. whoever this may be I've ever heard. Uh-huh. That vision of it jumping up and down. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just jackhammering like across zero the road. progress. <laughs> yep. It eventually right. made its way across and disappeared into trees. She said it had very high shoulders, almost as if there were wings underneath the cloak. Oh. It was very early uh, morning around 5 a.m. and still relatively dark, and she was headed to work. It never turned to look at her, so she didn't see a face. But there was a hood over its head anyway. It was illuminated by her headlights. Very strange indeed. Wow. So it sounds to me like Jack is back. Jack is back. Oh my god. That's (laughs) very interesting. (laughs) I mean, it could be just any dumb thing, but I just, it felt too. I uh, had too many characteristics in common not to share in the context of that being what it was. An absolutely wonderful Christmas gift in its own <laughs> right. It is kind of one of those things where the story is cartoonish, uh-huh. but if truly reported, is so specific and particular as to be bizarrely convincing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, some of these outlandish tales are so outlandish. <laughs> 
that you're like, huh? I guess it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. And the fact that they thought they may have seen wings under the cloak begs the question: Could Springfield Jack be the Phantom of the Chicago? Hmm. This happened I in uh, Illinois. Only time will tell. No <laughs> yep. one else. And uh, also re Springfield Jack. Uh, I hope very much that by the time everyone's hearing this. Uh, all of our patrons have received their most recent stickers, which are uh, this time around the Glow in the Dark Spring Heel Jack stickers. It's been a while. Obviously, the uh, Postal Service is pretty slammed because both COVID and Christmas time. So, yeah, if you don't receive your stickers sometime in the next couple of weeks, please do let me know. Anyway, what's the premise this week, Wyatt? <laughs> <laughs> this week, we are, since we are kind of brushing the dust off and uh remembering why we're friends no major theme <laughs> yeah I think. but you did use a turn of phrase that i found very fun when we discussed this a little while back oh yes so i went ahead and ran with that way too willingly because it just sounded like my kind of thing <laughs> oh very fair which is of course ghoul tide <laughs> yes <laughs> it is the time of year when it is christmas <laughs> yep but our show is scary. <laughs> right. If uh, yeah, if I do get this edited fast enough, this will come out on Christmas Day. Um, oh, what so. a gift to us all. <laughs> My story has nothing to do with ghouls. And that's totally fine because we didn't just settle on an, a theme at all. I just went with the one that I liked the sound of. So. <laughs> I will say also, though, that I did entitle my copy for today's episode, Ghoul Time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um. So it's an even number episode, so I will be going first, and uh, uh, consequently I present to you now, Wyatt, and to our, I'm going to go ahead and say dozens of listeners, <laughs> Ghoultied Scarols. Oh my god. And I promise to hold off on any more ghoul slash crawler stories for as much of 2021 as possible. <laughs> for at least a week. <laughs> at least a week, but I'm going to try to keep it light in 2021, <laughs> it's been too much. Uh, but today I couldn't help myself. First, I have a post by JP Delta 6 entitled something is stalking outside my house oh so for a few months now something weird has been hanging around and outside my house the first time it became apparent was when one night i was in the basement outside the window is a porch and there's a light switch for the lights by the door i went upstairs for a bit when i realized later that i left the lights on i went downstairs to turn them off when i came back down the porch lights were on now my father has tried endlessly to hook them to a timer with no success I assumed that he had finally figured it out and paid the lights no mind. What I hadn't known was my dad had given up weeks ago and put in a normal light switch. Next morning, I go down and see the lights are still on. I assume the timer didn't turn uh, timer didn't turn them off, so I go to shut them off and then discover to my shock that it's just a switch. This causes me to panic a bit because that means someone had been out there and the rest of my family was asleep last night, and quite likely they could have been watching me. Uh, by the way, I have an extreme fear of being watched. A few weeks later, I'm sitting downstairs on the couch. I'm home alone. It's the dead of night. And my dog, who is very relaxed but has a habit of being too chill sometimes, she suddenly perks up and looks out the window, out of habit. I look with her and see something hunched and white dropping down over our fence and run past the windows. Thanks to the dirty windows and the glare of the lights, I couldn't even hope to make out what I saw or how big it was. But I yelped, panicked, and called my buddies. (laughs) In that order. We better than, like, panic, call his buddies, and then yelp. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were skeptical and told me it was probably a raccoon and I ended up agreeing went outside with my dogs my older chocolate lab and my German puggle German shepherd pug beagle mix the one who had been with me Aww. 
trying a German to- puggle sounds like something they'd make on Great British Bake Off. It kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> I went out trying to see what it was. Uh, right away, my dogs had two very different reactions. The lab was pacing and sniffing, looking around and being very anxious. The other was wagging her tail and looking at the trees the way she does when I have treats. Suddenly, from said trees, I hear a loud groan. These are big, strong, old trees, and they don't groan, not unless something is on them. And the mountain lion who went up them a year ago proved that. Midwest United States, by the way. Ah. Now, I tried shining up, uh, shining a light up there, but saw nothing. But the trees are thick. I ended up going inside because my puggle was moving between the trees with the same look. My lab seemed to be getting increasingly anxious, but now I was st- uh, staying away from the trees and just watching them. Uh, and I wasn't seeing anything. But all night I heard weird things. The worst was a loud slam like a tree branch had fallen, but there was nothing there. My puggle kept going to the windows and acting unhappy about being kept inside. But the rest was the um, but the rest of the sound of something on the roof, uh, pebbles being thrown at the window, and the return of a woodpecker who should have been dead after my cats got the poor thing with a vengeance. I don't know where they were in all this. Now <laughs> here was the climax that drove me to this subreddit. This is I think posted <laughs> on the woodpecker is a weird addition. <laughs> yeah, or th- I think he's was trying to say it sounded sounded like the woodpecker was back, but I thought it was dead. But it couldn't have been because middle of the night and should have been dead. Right. I guess. Um posted this to the I think paranormal subreddit about ten months ago. Gotcha. Um so this is what drove me to this subreddit. It's been a couple of months now and I have mostly forgotten about it. Occasionally I'll hear something weird in the front porch or footsteps or the porch lights will get turned on mysteriously. But those are small things. Tonight I was with my sister and FaceTiming with a friend in the basement again when we hear a screeching sound. My first concern Ooh. was my two of three cat siblings who had taken to taking over the area, which meant they huh. liked to fight the raccoons. As a huh. reminder from us here at Super Duper Sisters, please keep your cats indoors. Yes. Now, the sound didn't sound like any raccoon I'd ever heard, but they make odd sounds, especially when two cats are attacking them. So I ran to the window in the next room where I believed I'd be able to see them and go out to break the fight up from a safe distance. Mm. But instead, I let out a scream and a flurry of curse words. Outside, standing taller than me for sure, I'm six feet, so pretty tall, was a gaunt white humanoid figure with his back turned to the window. Uh-huh. When I got back to the window and looked back out, it was nowhere to be seen. At first, I thought it was uh, my mind playing tricks on me. There was snow on the ground, and I was dying for a rational explanation because it scared me bad. I was shaking. I told my sister, and she laughed at me. I went upstairs later that night and got everything ready for the night and locked up. When I went back up front, I froze. I could see my cat, who seemed agitated, but calm for the most part, on the garage roof looking at something on my porch. That something Hmm. was the same white figure, back turned again, except this time it was squatted down and looking at my cat. Oh, no. It didn't seem confrontational itself, but then, for God's sakes, this sent me into tears, it turned its whole body, twisted, and seemed to kind of straighten as it did. I can only think of a meerkat as an example. (laughs) <laughs> but it was so sudden, I was sure I heard bones crack through the window. I never saw the face. As soon as it turned, fight or flight kicked in, and I ran into my room as fast as I could. The last thing I saw of it as I slammed my door was it on the railing as it leaped towards what I assume was the nearby tree. Ever since then, I've been in my room shaking, crying, wheezing in a hysterical fit. <laughs> I like paranormal stuff, but it's hard now that I'm experiencing it. Please, when I wake up, give me an explanation, because I don't want this thing to be real. He meant to say, if I'm sure. What? If I wake up. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. Some creepness. Some creepness, indeed. Not exactly the thing you'd want to get 
under the old tree, as it were. <laughs> right. And it's fun, too, because this this kind of ties into the exact sort of image I described a little while back when I most recently talked about ghouls of just like seeing one just outside on your porch, like in the light or like just coming into the light from the dark or something. Oh, just God. How awful that would be. And this is basically that. It's like, oh, what's up? There's uh, something happening on the porch. Oh, no, it's a scary monster man. That would be truly the absolute worst. Actually, <laughs> when I was younger, had a series of recurring nightmare that was basically I would be standing on a street illuminated by only street lamps. Everywhere else mm-hmm. was like encased in darkness, right? And you could see down into the distance along the street, right? Mm-hmm. And at the very, very far end, there was just some kind of creature running towards me, Ugh. but it would be running into and then back out of these street lights. So you would see the shape, and then it would go back into darkness. Then you'd see the shape again, and it was, like, upsetting. (laughs) Sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) One of the dreams you you find the dream abort switch very quickly (laughs) on. (laughs) Uh, Very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Hoping hoping that is just some some made-up scariness, because if true... God help us all. Yeah. Well, I will save it for another time, but this fella did post an update a month or so later. So oh my we'll, God. Uh, we'll have to get to that later on. It, I didn't really, I just kind of skimmed through it. It seems like some possible explanation, but like still leaves some mystery to it. Like it may be that it was a person, <laughs> but it may be that it was a scarier monster. That we, I don't know. It's, it's, oh no. I only skimmed it quickly. So I don't know quite the details, but it did seem like, to kind of uh, get worse anyway. I was going to say, yeah, he's either like, it was my dad, or he's going to be like, whatever I described last time, it's even worse. The gist of what I got, which again, I'll, I'll cover this some other time, um, is it seems to have gotten into the house. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, this is probably enough indulgence of my crawler obsession for one episode, and indeed for 2020. So I'll wrap up my segment instead with a scientist's perspective. Oh. So this last piece comes to us from Redditor Polo Marcel, who's a, uh, uh, a French person, yes. um, <laughs> who says, I am a zoologist working in a natural history museum, and my job is literally to describe new species. Since mm-hmm. I found this sub and read a, a lot of threads, uh, read a lot of the threads here, I wanted to give you some of my thoughts on crawlers from a scientific point of view. So this is this is posted on the crawler sightings subreddit by someone who... Seems to think they have some insights scientifically. Uh-huh. Uh, said so what first struck me is the consistency of all the descriptions of the animals through uh, of the animal throughout the reported sightings, which helps to make it credible, in my opinion, as mm-hmm. well as the restricted geographical distribution of the sightings. I.e., they are not seen all over the world, mostly in North America, which is consistent with a real animal having a natural distribution area. Some on here found a correlation between the presence of caves and crawler sightings. I find this particularly interesting since crawlers seem to present most of the characters that evolved in cave species, namely loss of skin pigmentation, elongation of the limbs, reduction slash loss of the eyes, slow metabolism due to the lack of food, which agrees with the reported emaciated body, and nocturnal foraging behavior. From the descriptions, it seems that crawlers are bipedal humanoids, so we can assume that the animal would probably be a primate. Except for humans, there are no apes in America, as they evolved separately in the old world. So crawlers would be members of the Platyrrhini, a group comprised, um, comprising all of the currently extant American monkeys. 
monkeys are now absent from North America, but they used to live there until the end of the Eocene epoch, about 33 million years ago, when climate changes led them to disappear from there and become restricted to tropical areas. But maybe some individual found refuge, uh, individuals found refuge or were trapped in cave systems around this hmm. time and evolved to become the crawlers. Caves are indeed known to serve as refuges for animal groups that disappeared from the surface. To date, the only vertebrates to have been found living in caves are some fish and a few amphibians. If the existence of a cave-dwelling primate in North America was proven to be true, it would be a huge breakthrough. One, as the first known cave mammal, a cave mammal ever, and two, as the only known primate in North America. Now imagine a hairless and tailless spider monkey. Wouldn't it make a convincing crawler? So these are a few of my thoughts. What are yours? Wow, that's really fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that speculative bio very much. Polo Marcel, I'm so glad you asked what my thoughts are, because as it so happens, uh, and as I think I may have failed to mention for the three years we've been doing this show, uh, next to behavior and the evolution thereof, my favorite research area is cave ecology. It's true. <laughs> Super into it. I can vouch for this. Uh, in fact, I looked into cave research options for grad school before I opted to cast the like bigger net of looking for behavior labs so the lack of u.s-based cave biology graduate research programs is very largely to thank for our ever having met mr shell oh well i'm glad that uh troglodytes <laughs> troglobites troglodytes is the uh, old word for cavemen troglobites, troglobites. Are, are obligate cave dwellers ah. um spoken yeah. as a true cave biologist <laughs> Or want to be cave biologist, but yeah, because I have so so many thoughts and opinions about cave ecology, I actually would like to maybe cover this in a future episode. That'd be awesome. Do something about that. For now, I'll just respond to a few key points from this post. Uh, but for mm-hmm. starters, I'd like to hear what you think, Wyatt. Well, I I as I mentioned, enjoyed it. I think it's sort of the bio anchored equivalent of yet more creepy pasta, as it were. Yes. It is, at best, speculative, at worst, downright fantastical. Right. But I enjoy it because it is at least gesturing towards anchoring this phenomenon in some kind of biological realm as implausibly as it is doing so. But I still enjoyed it. Those are my thoughts. Cool. No, I I totally agree. um, The thing that really made this stick out to me was trying to be scientific – but also the fact that it was really popular uh, was one of the most popular posts this whole year on wow. the Crawler Settings uh, subreddit. And yeah, Polo Marcel has some exchanges with folks in the comments all about how smart and insightful and real his explanation probably is. Like everyone's like, oh, this makes total sense. This is so cool. This totally explains it. This is for sure the answer. And then him just being like, yeah, cool. Thanks. I, mean, I appreciate it. I think it probably could be this and this. And so it's like just everyone kind of taking it at face value, really no uh, digging into it. So... My, and he's not exactly uh, saying, hey, hey, I'm just sort of fucking around. Yeah, no, he seems to genuinely be like, yeah, no, I think this really could be an explanation for it, like based on my expertise as a zoologist. <laughs> um, so counterpoints to the arguments that he makes here, uh, regional specificity, like the fact that, oh, it seems like it's really kind of sticking to North America. So it could be like, you know, a lot of you know terrestrial species tend to just be limited to a geographic range and uh and not all over the place i would argue that the significance of the similar descriptions in similar places is more likely to be a cultural than uh phylogeographic 
Hmm. So I think of you think of like missing four one one. How those stories tend to be in a specific place. The people who believe those stories all are subscribed to this particular cultural phenomenon. Stories mm-hmm. of these monsters could spread the same exact way. So mm-hmm. I think it's largely just stories being shared, not actual literal sightings being had. Um, and for more of our opinions on ep- a missing 411, check out episodes 70 and 71. So oh, a yeah. deep dive into the missing 411 phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about the adaptations that these things might have that, that line up with cave dwellers as far as you know being pale, um, long limbs, uh, stuff like that. Um, or like the nocturnal uh, coming out to hunt at night. It's like, I mean, yeah, but uh, it makes sense on paper. But it would be impossible for a bunch of reasons. I'll probably get more into for that future episode I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But mainly the idea that you're coming out to hunt at night. Well, if, if if it truly is like this adapted to caves, pale, potentially even blind, just thin troglobite style thing, it wouldn't come out to hunt. It wouldn't even be able to. Um, it would just stay inside. And if it did come out to hunt at night, it would be... I mean, you think of like troglophiles are a class of things that like can live their whole life in a cave but like to come and go huh. bats i think might be considered troglozines which is the mm. the things that will hang out like shelter in caves but they do a lot of their stuff outside of caves like they get all their food from outside the cave and then they come back in just to to chill by They're day subterranean short form literature that too <laughs> i i do want to double check when i do cover this topic in more detail um which classification bats fall into but yeah they do all their hunting outside uh, but things that live their entire life in a cave that are truly obligate cave dwellers wouldn't have a any need for a um, a circadian rhythm to know when night even is to come out and hunt at night. Correct. And if it's a matter of just like it waiting till it's dark to go out, like it just it doesn't really line up with how biology tends to work for these things. And then there's just the matter of size and the reason we don't see anything that big living in caves, and as well as uh, any kind of mammal living any actually any kind of warm-blooded thing at all that lives mm. its entire life in a cave. Hmm. I'll cover that more in detail later on, but I'll just say that based on just an evolutionary and uh, ecological perspective, something this big couldn't do, it couldn't live in there. Just It wouldn't work. I will say as well, his whole point about metabolism is bullshit. Yeah, it's not. Say, oh, it looks pretty amazing. It's like, well, it would just starve to death. That's what would happen. It would just exactly. starve to death. <laughs> The size of a thing doesn't necessarily tell you anything about its metabolism. No. And to be a mammal and be anything bigger than, like, you know, a mouse or something, the metabolism you'd need would require a lot more food intake than it could get from inside of a cave. Yes. And and if that were the case, like, they say, oh, well, it's hunting outside of the cave. Well, then it wouldn't look different. It would look like a normal mammal that's just nocturnal, and it would... stay like like a bat it would just hang out in the cave by day then come out and hunt at night and look normal so there's right. the arguments don't line up there no furthermore as is my custom when trawling reddit i checked out this guy's profile just to kind of get a, a sense of what if he had any posts that might indicate what other zoological insight he has to has to offer elsewhere and uh, he only has a couple of he has comments on other stuff he only has a few posts of his own and they are looking for advice on astral projection and uh, wanting the countries of Europe to return to monarchy. Ah, very so, nice. <laughs> doesn't mean that he's not a real scientist, but it does mean that I'm even more comfortable calling bullshit on everything. 
Oh, yes. I also had no idea until reading this, like, yesterday, that there are people who are, like, there's a whole community of people who very much want to return to a monarchy and think that that's a more civilized wow. way of living. And it's so fucking strange to me. Oh, uh, boy. That is very intriguing. Yeah. Well, I guess if uh, if there is any king, even if you, if, you, if you have to lick the boot, eventually you might wear the boot. Am I right? I think that's the, the mentality people go into that with. Yes. Yes. So I appreciate the attempt at a more sci- more a more rational explanation, but uh, as they used to say on the internet, this ain't it, Chief. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. Well, very cool, Jake. I like that second chunk and takedown very, very much. Well, I think All right. Well, as I struggle to find the words <laughs> to begin this section, I will say simply that Four Phantoms. We can't go on <laughs> without mentioning a little brewery in Western Massachusetts. Well, that includes Dungeons and Dragons, rock and roll, heavy metal specifically, and beer. <laughs> and that, of course, is Four Phantoms. Four Jake, Phantoms take it away. Brewery. Um, so they are great. They support us. If you've listened to any of the show this calendar year, you've heard us talk about them, and uh, hopefully that's encouraged you to want to either go buy it if you live nearby or to get yourself to new england so that you can buy some are they, we about a year into our romance with that i believe we started hands? in march ah but they reached out earlier than that i believe february i think february february right, then. yeah we're coming up on our our four fandoms anniversary very exciting i guess we'll have to send drew beer from we should. Us that to would him? be very sweet. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should brew some beer and send it to him. Yeah, let's get started on that now. Then it's just kombucha. <laughs> you go. Um, but yes, of course, four phantoms, uh, delicious beers. Jake, what are we what are we looking at for this time of year? We got a winter edition of Worship Doom, which is their imperial stout that they have all year round. That we talked before about the really cool fall one that had the maple syrup and stuff from that farm that you had sausages from without me. Now they have the winter version, which has uh, dark chocolate, caramel, and smoke flavors to it. So perfect for this time of year. Yum. Just for reference, as we're recording this on the 24th, the high in Minneapolis is 4 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 15.6 degrees Celsius. With the wind chill factor, the it brings the high, again the high, down to uh, <laughs> negative 14 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 25.6 degrees Celsius. Oh, my God. So stouts are definitely in order at the moment. Wow. Oh, my God. Maybe try to burn them to keep yourself warm. Yes. Uh, they also got the winter edition of Dirtweed, double IPA, which I know oh, you, yeah, you and I maybe. are both very excited about. I actually was thinking about this. If I can uh, convince myself to not drink all of them once I get them, maybe I could try and save a can from each season this year and then try and compare them all side by side in the fall when Ooh. I have all four and see... Which of the four seasonal dirtweeds I like best? I don't know. I like that idea. That could be like a special quaff we could do. We just drink four different dirtweeds. We could, yeah, we could call it four four phantoms. <laughs> I, I like this already. Sixteen phantoms. Sixteen phantoms. Um, and lastly, they have, uh, as far as the new offering, they have Bite Back, a blood orange sour that I'm particularly excited to try. Uh, oh, yeah, it sounds very intriguing. From the copy on the can itself, it says a crisp, or I think it's label is going to go on the can. I just have the picture of it. A crisp sour ale brewed with soft pilsen malt and over 10 pounds per barrel of blood orange puree. Ooh. Perfect compliment to a, a well-deserved rest with your party. Bite back is best enjoyed with friends, weary, and victorious. 
Aww. something we can all hopefully do before long. Yes, indeed. Um, especially to our listeners in Georgia. Yes. <laughs> and by extension, the rest of us in America and the rest of us in the entire world. <laughs> um, yep. Yes. Well, very, very cool. I look forward to trying these beers. I have not yet got them into my grubby paws just yet. I dare say that Drew and also the Postal Service are both kind of busy, so no hurry oh, at yes. all. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, yes, no hurry at all. So grateful for, for Phantom support. Check them out whenever you get a chance. For Phantoms is good. <laughs> is good. Yeah, for Phantoms is good. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we also want to thank, of course, our Patreon yes. patrons. Thank you all for your support and steadfast listenership. We, uh, of course, will be busting out the NCAAA device to run the Patron Appreciation Neural Dive for Evaluation of Risk program, a.k.a. Pander. I am currently turning the machine on. All right. There it okay. goes. Cool. And so we'll what we'll do is the... we'll, we'll plug these cords into the backs exactly. of our skulls. So Feels good. This machine will, uh, by connecting with our neural tissue and with the, I guess, the dark ether that it operates on, it'll help us calculate I mean, I creatures, guess. cryptids, whatever in the world our Patreon patrons should individually be on the watch for. And today mm -hmm. we're going to be calculating the cryptid for... Melanie, Melanie from, from Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minnesota. So, Melanie, I um, by the time you're hearing this, I have probably already driven to your house. <laughs> um, uh, strange. Uh, your yeah, the stickers for some reason, uh, whoever was filling in for your postal carrier that day, didn't recognize your address as existing, and they sent your stickers back to me. So I will bring them to you myself. I am sorry. This is definitely not what I think the preferred podcast listening experience consists of. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Melanie, be on be the lookout, lookout for, for Cat, Cat Fox. Fox. The Cat no, Fox. No, this is not Star Fox. <laughs> uh, the Cat Fox is a possible new species of carnivorin uh, or, or carnivore, as some people call them. No, we're calling them carnivorins now. Yes, discovered on the Indonesian part of the island of Borneo. The cat fox was, of course, first discovered by a Swiss-based environmental group, the World Wildlife Federation, in 2003 using a nighttime camera trap, which is also what we refer to those as, <laughs> in Cayenne Mentoring National Park. It's a little larger than a cat, has red fur, a long tail, and hind legs that are longer than the front legs. The overall appearance is something between a cat and a fox. It, uh, in some ways, it resembles the fossa of Madagascar. And while the World Wildlife Federation uh, plans to set traps to capture and study this cryptid, be on the lookout for it being extremely cute. Yes. If you see it cross your path, then uh, you want to just go ahead and catch it and cuddle it and show it to some scientists. The nearest scientist, I guess, well, I guess the nearest scientist might be me. Um, <laughs> so let me know. And uh, otherwise, yeah, thanks for being a patron and for supporting our stupid show. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, be, be on guard. Yes. Um, let's go ahead and unplug this from our brains. Sounds good. <sighs> and uh, let's down. encourage any listeners to, you know, if you, if you like what you hear and would like to help us make it more, um, our Patreon is the easiest way to do that. 
We have cool rewards for folks that we will be wrapping up for sure this coming year. I would love for 2021 to be the year that we at least get 50 patrons and even Oof. maybe keep some of them. <laughs> wow, that would be amazing. Yeah, we understand that uh, it's tough, especially this whole year, to be able to afford to throw money at anything other than the necessities. And we understand that uh, it's tough to, you know, want to throw money at a thing that has maybe been kind of busy and distracted for a little while, but we are yeah. going to make, we're going to be trying real hard to make it worthwhile for you. So please oh, yeah. head on over and, and please give us your money. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, thank you guys very much. And uh, looking forward to an awesome year. I will ostensibly be less busy, hopefully. And I will be more busy, but I think I'll be happy to make it work. <laughs> woo, woo. I've done it before, so. <laughs> you have. And, you know, if you can't afford or yeah, whatever, you can also just leave a positive review for us on, uh, ideally, um, the uh, Apple Podcasts app. That's the best place for most traction for us. I actually just finally settled on a new podcast app for my phone because I do hate Apple Podcasts and its uh, <laughs> interface sucks. I've been using forever. I've been using just iTunes and then my 2007 iPod um, to listen to everything. Wow. So it was very convenient. And then uh, that was no longer an option, so I had to switch to the app on my phone. Hate it. Now I'm using Overcast, maybe? Huh. I can't remember. I tried to a couple, couple different ones. I can't remember what I settled on. So leave a review anywhere you can, but uh, Apple Podcasts in particular would help us the most and would be a great free way to help out this show. Indeed. So thank you all very much. Yeah. And now, allow me to take it away. Yeah. With... Sonic Attacks Part A Billion Yay. As was hilariously suggested by listener, art designer, and girlfriend of the show, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> yeah. um, 400 years ago, in the year 2017, <laughs> reports began servicing that Canadian and U.S. Embassy staff had been experiencing a variety of health problems in Cuba. So we're talking nausea dizziness and disorientation in some cases long-term memory and hearing loss uh, it was proposed at the time that a sonic or some other kind of energy-based weapon was being used possibly by the russians to professionally mess with the embassy staff and then it was suggested to be mass hysteria just bugs and then again maybe actually a weapon for realsies then we saw the same kinds of things starting to happen to U.S. diplomats in Guangzhou, China. And on and on we go. And we've covered this now maybe three times on the show. I th At least three times, yeah. Over the years, it's been sort of a pet, crazy, maybe is it real, actually something happening narrative. And I am very excited to basically end 2020 slash celebrate Christmas... <laughs> With a heavily abridged take <laughs> on a couple extremely explosive entries to this global saga, one from GQ in October and the other shorter from the New York motherfucking Times from earlier this December, I highly recommend reading the GQ article in full as I have had to slice just about everything but the bones out of it to fit our timing here, <sighs> but it is crazy and well-written. Uh, through and through so yes anyway this is just a selection of uh through line excerpts from the mystery of the immaculate concussion by julia yaffa hopefully i'm saying her name correctly written back in october which will take us up to date on the sonic attacks 
Nice. Or AKA Havana syndrome or the Havana effect or whatever the hell. Um, and I've not actually said this guy's name out loud yet. Perhaps in an act of (laughs) self-sabotage. On brand. Mark Ruffalo? Polymeropoulos. Ooh, very Greek Polymeropoulos. P-O-L-Y-M-E-R-O-P-O-U-L-O-S. Cool. As listeners may know... If you spell something to me, I just forget every letter you've said immediately, so <laughs> doesn't help at all. S-E-X. Well, I don't know what that is, Wyatt. It's the number after five. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mark Polymeropoulos awoke with a start. The feeling of nausea was overwhelming. Food poisoning, he thought, and decided to head for the bathroom. But when he tried to get out of bed, he fell over. He tried to stand up and fell again. It was the early morning hours of December 5th, 2017, and his Moscow hotel room was spinning around him. His ears were ringing. He felt, he recalled, like I was going to both throw up and pass out at the same time. Polymeropoulos was a covert CIA operative, a jovial, burly man who likes to refer to himself as grizzled. Moscow was not the first time he had been on enemy territory. He had people spent, describing themselves as grizzled. <laughs> I'm grizzled. He had spent he's smoking like four cigars at once <laughs> while like hacking his own phone. He had spent most of his career in the Middle East fighting America's long war on terrorism. He had hunted terrorists in Pakistan and Yemen. He did the same in Iraq and Afghanistan. He had been shot at, ducked under rocket fire, and had shrapnel whiz by uncomfortably close to his head. But that night, rather than comfortably close, am I right? But that night, paralyzed with uh, seasickness in the landlocked Russian capital, Polymeropoulos felt terrified and utterly helpless for the first time. Polymeropoulos' job had been to run clandestine operations across the center's approximately 50 stations, the center being the Center for Disease Control. Center for Disease Control, um, which dotted the landscape from Ireland to Azerbaijan. As far as the agency and Polymeropoulos saw it, the area in between Europe, Ukraine, Turkey, and the Caucasus was now a battleground between the United States and Russia. Polymeropoulos issued what he refers to as a call to arms. Every station was directed to refocus its efforts on Russia, he explained. It goes back to the old days where, in every station around the world, there was a Soviet branch. We wanted to reconstitute that because Russia can't be ignored anymore. Though Polymeropoulos and the other counterterrorism officers brought in for this new mission were mostly skilled at tracking suspected terrorists, they had to rely on a different skill set in dealing with the Russians. The best way... (laughs) The best way you do covert influence traditionally is with the truth, Polymeropoulos told me. And Russian operations and covert influence is so easy because we never have to make stuff up to embarrass Putin. You just say what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like someone else we know. This involved exposing Russian operations across the continent, like the efforts to stop Macedonia from changing its name and to sponsor a coup in Montenegro, by working with local intelligence services to make sure that the European public knew that the Kremlin was trying to manipulate them. In the fall of 2017... Paul Maropoulos and an agency colleague decided they wanted to go to Russia. 
Palomaropoulos had never been before, and he and his colleague thought a trip might be useful. They could meet with the American ambassador and embassy staff, and perhaps open a more direct and fruitful line of communication with their counterparts in Russian intelligence. The trip started off well. He and his colleague, who declined to be interviewed for this article, checked into the Marriott near the U.S. Embassy and set about taking in the sights. The official part of the visit was less fun. Paul Maropoulos knew he had to be careful in Russia, but figured he had no reason to fear for his physical safety. Even after that awful night in the Marriott, he did not immediately suspect anything malicious. By morning, the worst of the symptoms had passed, and he seemed to be doing better, confirming his suspicion that it had just been something he'd eaten. Two days before the end of his trip, he and his colleagues were eating dinner at Pushkin, a posh Moscow restaurant, when he suddenly felt the room begin to spin again, just as it had in the hotel room that night. A wave of nausea hit, and he was suddenly drenched in sweat. He barely made it back to his hotel room where, having canceled all his meetings, he stayed for the rest of his trip, unable to move. His body was in revolt, and he had no idea why. Wow. It wasn't until Polymeropoulos got home to the Virginia suburbs that it occurred to him what had happened in Moscow was possibly the result of something far more sinister than what he had originally expected or suspected. In February, after a few weeks of relative normalcy, he started feeling an intense and painful pressure that started at the back of his head and radiated forward into his face. He went to an ear, nose, and throat specialist who, Paul Amaropoulos says, thought it might be a sinus infection. But his scans were clear, and a course of antibiotics did not alleviate the pain. If anything, it was growing steadily worse. The vertigo and nausea came roaring back. His ears started ringing again. His brain was swathed in a dense fog. By March, his long-distance vision started going, and he could no longer drive. Repeated MRI and CAT scans showed nothing suspicious, but he was now feeling so ill that he started calling out sick. By the spring of 2018, Paul Maropoulos was convinced he was a new addition to the Havana victims' ranks. What's more, the agency colleague who had accompanied him to Moscow was now also sick and had also lost hearing in one of his ears. Wow. Right? Frustrated by the CIA's inability to help him. So they go into much more detail about this, but basically he's like, guys, I'm like messed up and they're like, you can't really prove it. He goes through all these tests and they basically Mm. aces them. So they're like, sorry. Hmm. Frustrated by the CIA's inability to help him. Polymeropoulos went to the Center for Brain Injury and Repair at the University of Pennsylvania, where some of the Havana victims had gone for treatment. The team had published a study in the prestigious Journal of the American Medical Association, which I believe we talked about on this show previously, Yeah, about what had come to be widely known as the Havana Syndrome. They evaluated 21 of the Havana victims and found the kind of damage to cognitive, balance, motor, and sensory functions associated with a severe concussion. Unlike with most concussions, however, these symptoms did not quickly dissipate. Instead, they lasted for months, waxing and waning over time. The neurologists at the University of Pennsylvania found that some explanations for the Havana syndrome, including mass hysteria and group psychosis, were highly unlikely. These were things that we even talked about on the show way, way back. Many of the patients didn't know each other. Their performance on these tests could not have been faked, and they did not wallow in their pain. In fact, according to the study, they were desperately trying to get better. 
and, quote, were largely determined to continue to work or return to full duty, even when encouraged by healthcare professionals to take sick leave. The study also concluded that these injuries were not likely caused by exposure to chemicals, since no organs other than the brain were involved, nor were they likely to have been the product of a viral infection, the doctors said, because these patients did not display associated symptoms, like a spiking fever. Still, the University of Pennsylvania researchers couldn't explain what actually had happened to these patients. Their brain scans were basically normal, and the doctors could not fathom what could have caused this kind of brain injury, one that refused to heal. Quote, These individuals appeared to have sustained injury to, to widespread brain networks without an associated history of head trauma, the study's authors concluded. Doctors and patients began referring to it as the immaculate concussion. <laughs> In the spring of 2018... Yeah, it's funny. This actually does work out to be kind of Christmas-themed. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it's true. I didn't even think of that. That's true. That's a really good point. Um, In the spring of 2018, a private neurologist gave Polymeropoulos a diagnosis, occipital neuralgia, a condition resulting from Mm -hmm. damage to the two nerves that run from the base of the skull, curving toward the front of the head. Despite the private diagnosis, Polymeropoulos says the agency kept refusing to refer him to the University of Pennsylvania, telling him it wasn't necessary. As he grasped for an explanation... Polymeropoulos was paying careful attention to what was being discovered about the incidents in Cuba and China. By the, summer of, by the summer of 2018, scientists, intelligence officials, and journalists were zeroing in on a potential culprit, microwave weapons. Mm-hmm. The notion of weaponizing microwaves dates back to the Cold War, when, in 1961, an American biologist named Alan Frey, who we spoke about, again, previously on the show, Yeah discovered that irradiating a human head with microwaves could produce the sensation of sound, even in deaf ears and from thousands of feet away. These are the things we find out when we are bored at lunch <laughs> and are done heating up our <laughs> soup or whatever. <laughs> what if I stick my head in there? <laughs> in 2018, Frey told the New York Times that the Soviets took immediate notice of his work and flew him to Moscow, where they squired him around secret military facilities and asked him to give lectures about the effects of microwaves on the brain. And you got to figure, if you're getting asked those questions, you're like, okay. (laughs) This doesn't seem good. (laughs) This doesn't seem good. You're paying me how much for this? As the Cold War progressed, both the United States and the Soviet Union raced to find military uses for what came to be called directed energy weapons. American researchers into the thermal aspects of microwaves ultimately culminated in the development of a weapon the Pentagon calls an active denial system, or ADS, a highly portable weapon that can be attached to a military vehicle and used to direct precise beams of electromagnetic radiation at, say, an armed militant in a crowd or a suspicious person approaching a military checkpoint. Incidentally, this summer, a military official inquired about deploying the technology against American protesters who flooded into the streets of Washington, D.C. to protest police brutality. On the other side of the world, the Soviets focused instead on the non-thermal applications of microwave radiation. A 1976 report compiled by the Pentagon's intelligence branch, the Defense Intelligence Agency, reviewed Soviet research on the topic. The report detailed Moscow's investigation of the effects of microwaves on the nervous system. 
Soviet and later Russian scientists found that exposing an animal's brain to microwaves changed the frequency at which neurons fired. Wow. Neurons also became suddenly out of sync with one another. Some brain, go figure, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you irradiate Some, something's brain, weird things happen. <laughs> yeah, whoa. Some other, uh, sorry, some brain cells in mice were found to have withered. Ooh. Nerves became damaged. The radiation also showed the potential to disturb the critical blood-brain barrier, resulting in overall alterations of brain function. The most common symptoms reported in humans who had been exposed to microwaves for long periods of time sounded familiar. Headache, fatigue, perspiration, dizziness, insomnia, depression, anxiety, forgetfulness, and lack of concentration. In September of 2018, a California physician and scientist named Beatrice Golom published a paper that tried to link the suffering of American diplomats to directed microwaves. She connected what came to be known as the Frey effect, using microwaves to create a false sensation of sound, with the fact that some, but not all, of the diplomats in Havana reported hearing the kinds of noise described by Alan Frey. Hmm. Not all scientists agree with Golom's conclusions, and some challenge her methodology. Andre uh, Pakamov, a scientist who studied microwaves both in Russia and in the United States, and wrote a comprehensive review of so Soviet research on the subject, told me he is still not convinced that microwaves could do this kind of damage. Douglas Smith, a neurosurgeon who heads the University of Pennsylvania's Center for Brain Injury and Repair, and was the principal investigator on the JAMA study, that's the journal for the American Medical Association. That mamma JAMA. That mamma JAMA. Uh, says he doesn't understand how microwaves could target an organ so precisely, damaging the brain, but not any peripheral nerves. Mm. Still, the fact that the Havana victims felt the buzzing and tingling on one side of their face, or that the sensation stopped when they moved to another room, indicated to Smith that these injuries were caused by some kind of directed energy weapon. Quote, We believe there was something directed, but we don't know what it was, he told me. It, uh, quote, It is quite a mystery. There's no question that something happened, but there's not a fingerprint for this kind of injury. Very weird. If the incidents were connected to directed energy weapons, the question remained, who was deploying them against U.S. personnel? Sitting in his office in Langley, Polymeropoulos was convinced he knew who was behind these apparent attacks. Mm. Moscow. Oh, I thought it had something more specific to point yeah. the blame at, but... He's like, <laughs> Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> He had been charged with pushing back against the Russians, and now, he figured, the Russians were retaliating, including against him personally. Without conclusive intelligence leaking the attacks to the Kremlin, however, there was little he could do. In April of 2019, after 26 years at the agency, Polymeropoulos decided to retire from the CIA, still struggling with constant migraines, fatigue, and an inability to concentrate. Wow. And it should be no surprise, they go into greater detail in the article... He didn't really want to, hmm. uh, but he was just so laid low by all this. Yeah, Polymeropoulos was still in touch with his friends and colleagues at Langley, and what they had, uh, and what they told him alarmed him. Apparent attacks were continuing around the world. Two sources with knowledge of the situation, who asked for anonymity to discuss matters that they did not have authorization to disclose to the press, told me about the ongoing attacks. By now. They were no longer a novel occurrence, and CIA people had come to call it getting hit. 
According to these sources, whoever was behind the attacks also began going after Americans on American soil. Wow. An American diplomat and his spouse, who had been hit when they were stationed in China, traveled to Philadelphia to get specialized treatment at the University of Pennsylvania. One night in June 2018, according to three government sources, the couple was startled awake by a sound and pressure in their heads similar to what they had felt back in China. On the advice of FBI agents, the family moved to to a hotel, but on their second night there, they were again awoken in the early morning hours. Terrified, the parents ran into the room where their children were sleeping to find them moving in their sleep, bizarrely and in unison. In the weeks afterward, the children developed—it's horrifying. In the weeks afterward, the children developed vision and balance difficulties. Oh no! They got the kids too. I tell you, man. The family members, whose identities GQ is not revealing for privacy reasons, no shit, declined to be interviewed for this story. Given the work Polymeropoulos and his team have been doing to thwart the Russians since 2017, and the fact that much of the scientific literature on the biological effects of microwaves have been published in the Soviet Union and Russia, it seemed plausible to the investigators that the Russians could be behind these attacks. The most compelling evidence, however, came from publicly available data. As has been widely reported, mobile phones track people's movements, and location data companies accumulate this information and sell it. Using this sort of data, CIA investigators were able to deduce the whereabouts of Russian agents and place them in close physical proximity to the CIA officers at the time they had been attacked when they were in Poland, Georgia, Australia, and Taiwan. Wow. In each case, individuals believed to be Russian agents were within range of the CIA officers who had been hit in 2019. In two of these incidents, location data apparently showed agents in the same hotel at the same time their potential targets experienced the onset of symptoms. Wow. The attacks on CIA officers infuriated people in the agency. Quote, there's a gentleman's agreement not to do these things, Paula Maropoulos explained. There's never any physical stuff. Yeah, the, the, Russian main, government, the main understanding we have in the CIA is that we fuck up other countries. They can't do it to us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I want to sort of now or later add a caveat that if there's any Russian listeners out there, this is not a jab at Russia. Um, it's If anything, it's just sort of like a peek into the dirty world of covert ops of any yeah. government, but especially Russians and Americans. <laughs> yep. And America is shit-tastic as hell when it comes to that stuff. Mm-hmm. What? A coup in our own country? Oh, no. That's our card we get to play. Come uh-huh. on. <laughs> but right, for even the guys in the crew, he's saying this, is, this, this crosses a line. There's never any physical stuff, but the Russian government was clearly feeling more emboldened. They know that our president is at war with our intelligence community, so kick them when they're down back at them for everything they've done before the former security official told me it's a kick in the balls isn't it whatever punishment washington had meted out for say meddling in the 2016 election was clearly not deterring the russians nearly three years after that terrifying night in the moscow marriott paula Maropoulos's constant migraines still have not abated jeez botox plasma steroid injections visits to the chiropractor nothing has helped and painkillers don't seem to touch it. He's enrolled in an NIH study, which, uh, in an NIH study, National Institutes for Health, 
for which once a year he is hooked up to an elaborate machine that spins him around God. to test his balance. It takes him days to recover from the nausea and dizziness it triggers. And speaking for myself, that's probably how it would fuck me up too. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Sounds so horrible. <laughs> In the meantime, according to several sources on Capitol Hill and at the CIA, the National Academy of Sciences has completed, as of October, a report commissioned by the State Department assessing the potential causes of the Havana Syndrome. The report, now under review at State, apparently reached many of the same conclusions that Smith and his colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania did. In 2019, Smith and his team published a follow-up study that used advanced neuroimaging and brain connectivity methods to look at the brains of diplomats hit in Havana. This technique showed what less sophisticated imaging had missed. The patient's brain connectivity was severely affected, especially in the cerebellum and brain networks that control auditory and visuospatial functions. Their volumes of white matter, the inner, deeper part of the brain, were significantly reduced. White matter is made up of axons, the delicate wiring of the, nervous, uh, the central nervous system. According to Smith, it was the axons and their carefully arranged structure that were damaged in people suffering from the syndrome. Quote, wow. if the axons break, that's it, he told me. They won't, re uh, they won't reconnect, and you're not going to grow new axons. You only have the ones you're born with. The brain can learn to make up for and work around some of the damage, Smith says, but that takes time, and the compensatory mechanisms are often far from perfect. And that is all I'll read of the GQ article. It's essentially one-fifth of what is described... <laughs> Um, I mean, it's the core. It's the core parts, but uh, there's a lot more flavor there if you want to mm -hmm. taste more. So very cool, very very crazy. And now some follow up from the New York Times, just from a few weeks uh, ago, right? Twenty days ago, almost wow. three weeks now, December fifth, and they report the most probable cause of a series of mysterious afflictions that sickened American spies and diplomats abroad in the past several years was radio frequency energy. Damn. A type of radiation that includes microwaves. The National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine has concluded in a report. So the report is officially out. This wow. report, uh, this conclusion by a committee of 19 experts in medicine and other fields, cited, quote, directed pulsed radio frequency energy as the most plausible mechanism to explain the illness, which came to be known as Havana Syndrome. Though they said they could not rule out other possible causes and that secondary factors may have contributed to symptoms. Several of the victims have accused Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and other Trump administration officials of downplaying the issue in an attempt to avoid disrupting international ties. This is something that came up a ton in the other article as well, the fact that there was a lot of resistance by the Trump administration to take any of this seriously or even to hear it because of fear that Trump would react badly because he has such a boner for Putin. No, I mean, look at the whole response to uh, the bounties on U.S. soldiers. Like, clearly oh he does Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, they now ask how President-elect Joseph R. Biden Jr. and his nominee for Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, will respond, especially given the new scientific findings. Basically, they, bas they just had to force this out because there was a lot of uh, governmental slowdown. But it is now, insofar as it can be, confirmed that the Cuban sonic attacks were indeed attacks Jeez. and were potentially microwave, cook the brain, espionage style 
stuff. That is wild. We went from just I can't believe the <sighs> journey we've been on with this this story. Starting out thinking, oh, it's for sure bugs. They just heard bugs and got freaked out. Like they're talking right. about mass hysteria and stuff. And I was like, oh no, it's just actually exactly what they thought. <laughs> it's, it's totally a real thing that happened. And holy shit! So that's crazy. Uh huh. I suppose we could at some point maybe talk about kinds of brain damage and what they can do to your ability to perceive things. But True. maybe that's a little gloomy and weird. Yeah, we'll see if the context makes sense for doing that at some point. But they they stress in both articles that it's sort of not a matter of if but when these attacks occur again. Jeez. Yeah, so I'm sure this is not the last we've heard of this. So we'll see what happens in 2021, but that is the latest uh, update on the Sonic Attack saga, which I'm still going to call the Sonic Attacks, even though it is now evidently directed energy weaponization. <laughs> it's faster to say Sonic Attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there you have it, everybody. So the State Department is going to start uh, once, yeah, once uh, after after inauguration, end of uh, January, going to dissolve the Space Force and um, start investing in a bunch of Magneto helmets for uh, everyone stationed yeah. abroad. Exactly. Oh my God, it's so spooky. Yeah, especially the, in fact that we figured out. Okay, this is very clearly what's happening, but we don't know who or how. Right. And that's like, really frightening. Oh boy, you got to set a trap for it somehow. Yeah. I suppose all we have to do now is listen for the sound not of tingling but of jingling. <laughs> that, of course, being of the other supersonic traveler. Sinterklaas, <laughs> who this very moment, I think in Australia, is delivering gifts to all the good girls and boys, <laughs> and even the bad ones too, and is making his way around the globe to bring me toy. <laughs> I'm just going to let you keep going with that and see where I ended up, and that's, uh, that's where we landed. Um, thanks everyone so much for listening. <laughs> so glad to have you back. So fun to be back. Uh, very good times. I forget how to end the show. Uh, That's all right. This was fun and we are going to see you next week. And if not, we're going to see you sometime. Yeah, we'll see you pretty soon. Whenever you hear from us next is when you will hear from us next. And we'll be excited to be there either way. Sooner than the last break though. For sure. Guaranteed. Yeah, I would. Yeah, we'll, we'll be around in the month of January. No question. Oh, most definitely. Before we go, I uh, do want to just hit with, again, a cause of the week situation. It's going to be similar to last time. I kind of gave it just a very general call to action. I'd like to do the same again this time, too. I'll, if I can, though, if we can each find a link to something in our areas, it would be cool. But oh, um, nice. generally, just look into ways you can help the unhoused communities where you live. Because in the Northern Hemisphere, yeah. it is winter. As I mentioned, it's fucking freezing here in Minnesota. Uh, people are for sure going to die there's no question evictions are happening to people who are in apartments and stuff during a pandemic and then people who have found their way into encampments and stuff just trying to find shelter those are being cleared out in the middle of winter in the middle of a pandemic we need it's to do fucked. something to help and so yeah if there are ways you can please look into one thing that's helpful to you can just like scroll through twitter look for stuff in your area and see if there are people who are shouting out just specific Venmos of someone who they know needs help or who is gathering supplies to help out. There are just a lot of different little small-scale ways that you can make a difference. 
Um, right. And we'll also try and uh, find a couple of links to post in this episode too for broader ways you can help out to particular organizations that might be happening. So, so many people have already died this year that didn't have to. We don't need right. to let that number keep growing if we can help in any way. Well said. Yes. So yeah, for those of you who celebrate it, happy, uh, uh, Merry Christmas, um, happy Boxing Day coming up. Kwanzaa, I think, is also on Saturday. Uh, what else we got going on? Um, I mean, New Year's Eve coming up. We If we get our shit together, we might have a New Year's Eve episode. I don't know. That could be fun. But uh, if not, then we we'll do. see you in the new year. Yes, indeed. And, and um, we love you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.